As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? So I think that sort of first date, if you will, will happen more online. I think people will get a sense of someone through a video chat first. That is definitely the way that this industry is going. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I have a very important question for you this week. Are you single? If not, where did you meet your partner? So I feel like kind of an old fart here, um, but back in my day, my single days that is, dating apps were super fringe. Uh, most people just didn't use them, or if the, the people who did, they were kind of like, well, they just can't get a date otherwise. So you had to, you know, rely on this very analog way of meeting people, which was just, you know, randomly going up and talking to folks, completely bereft of data, which is, of course, insane. My wife and I actually met randomly on a plane to Africa. It's a true story. Anyhow, obviously a lot has changed. Now apps are the way that people meet each other. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. And a lot of the people who do use dating apps use the one that was created by this week's guest, Justin McLeod. So nearly a decade ago, he founded Hinge, which has long billed itself as kind of the anti-Tinder, the place where one goes to really find love. Um, anyhow, the founding story is great, as is McLeod's kind of wild ride getting to this point now where it's Hinge is used by millions of people. Two years ago, IAC, as it was then, bought the company. Now it is owned, it's been spun out into Match, which, you know, the company I like to call Big Dating, not Big Tech, Big Dating. You, get, you see what I did there? Because Match, of course, owns Tinder, OkCupid, Plenty of Fish, Hinge, obviously, and a bunch of others. Anyhow, it's a really interesting founding story. Hinge was a real slog for McLeod way back in 2015. A few years into the journey, he tore the whole thing down and rebuilt it from scratch. It's a great story. There's highs, there's lows. There's even unrequited love. We laugh, we cry. It has it all. I think you'll enjoy this one. So without further ado, I will now step aside and hand you over to my chat with Justin McLeod, founder and CEO of Hinge. Enjoy. So what is happening in the dating world? I'm fascinated by the pandemic. I presume like the heavy lockdowns was probably not good for your business, or maybe it was. Maybe people were kind of venturing out. But um, were there periods when it was like, wow, things are really kind of roaring back to life here? Yeah, I think when the heavy lockdowns were happening, then certainly people got discouraged from, from dating and kind of discouraged from doing anything except maybe watching Netflix. 
But when people started to venture out to meet up again, but still couldn't meet in large groups or go to parties or go to weddings, then that was very much a big tailwind for us because there's really no other way to meet people practically than uh, through a dating app. So overall, we grew, we tripled our revenue in 2020 relative to 2019. And then we doubled it again from 2021 to, you know, that's what we expect to do this year as opposed to last year. So it's still, we've been really growing as a business throughout the throughout this period. So you were, what, 10 years old, the company? We are, yeah. So that kind of growth, I mean, obviously, you're, you're past the initial startup phase, that kind of growth, is that extraordinary? Or is that kind of in line with what happens every year as you start from kind of zero and grow? Uh, I think at our size now, it's still pretty, I'd say that's like pretty extraordinary to be able to grow. I mean, when we started, you know, I started the company in, in 2011, and then completely rebooted it and started from scratch in 2016. So started a five years later. Yeah, five years later, totally ripped it down. Uh, wow. New code base, new user base, new brand. So that was in 2016, October of 2016 that we relaunched. And then we kind of struggled to kind of find our footing for a bit. And then by 2018, we really started to take off. Let's go back to 2011 then. So why and how did you start this company? And what were you doing before you did this? Uh, not dating apps for sure. It's definitely a very different time. Uh, I worked for a management consulting firm in Washington, D.C. That was my first job coming out of college. And I worked in yeah. defense logistics and then biodefense. So I was working on wow, uh, actually manufacturing and stockpiling vaccines for threats that the health and human services and department of defense had identified. So very different. Like things like, like bioweapon, like anthrax, things like yeah, that. Anthrax, Ebola, anything we were worried about that could either, that could become either weaponized or um, just something that could be a pandemic that could get out of hand. Wow. So was your client then basically the U S government or the Pentagon or whatever? Yeah, I did work. We did work directly with the defense department and then, Later, the biodefense stuff was kind of a joint partnership between a big medical center and some companies and a venture capital fund and trying to sell that into the U.S. government. Wow. So obviously like a really logical pivot. Yeah. So then obviously the next step was to start a dating app. (laughs) 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 No, well, so in college, I had this girlfriend. Her name was Kate. And we dated on and off during college. And I was, you know, pretty much a hot mess in in college. I was getting into a lot of trouble. Uh, I had to spend my first summer in rehab in order just to come back my sophomore year. Kate and my meet cute was, she found me passed out in a stairwell my first day of my sophomore year after having just gotten out of rehab. So it was, um, oh my God, that was the beginning of what was sort of a tumultuous relationship, but also a really sweet one and amazing one at times. And at the end of school, we, we went our separate ways because I'd pretty much screwed it up at that point. And then I went in and I cleaned up my act and I stopped partying and I you know started working at this consulting firm. And then... Did you go stone cold sober or you just stopped? I did. Walked across the stage on graduation day, hung over and was like, that's it. And so I just stopped drinking and doing drugs that day. And I was like, I'm going to go figure out... Literally that day after four years of going pretty hard sounds like like eight years of going pretty hard but yeah well that's kind of amazing 
yeah, and I I moved down to Washington D.C. where this consulting firm was based, and I really lucked out finding this job. I mean, I got rejected from like every job I applied to because I wasn't really applying myself at the time, and somehow lucked out and got this job and worked there for a few years, and then it was pretty successful there. And I got into business school, and I was up at HBS doing. So you got into Harvard Business School. Yeah. Just so I understand, so. Are you one of these dudes who can go hard and still show up and ace a test? Because it sounds like you were kind of off the rails there for a while, but you still end up with a job in a consulting firm and then to Harvard Business School. Or or is it more of like you just completely turned a new leaf and now you were really determined? No, I mean, I could pull it together when I needed to pull it together. So I could show up and, and do the test and do what I needed to do to get by. Got you. Yeah, I kind of lived this double life, especially in like high school days, because I was partying and getting in trouble and breaking the detention record. But I was also president of student government and captain of the Senate team and graduation speaker. So I, I kind of did both sides of the work hard, play hard. Gotcha. That's kind of the motto. <laughs> but I think by the end of college, it was kind of just playing and, and not, not really working. And I, and I kind of just scraped by. But once I quit drinking and partying, then I kind of just threw myself back into doing great work. Right, right, right. Got you. So you got into HBS. And so I was going there and, and I, I convinced myself I wanted to work in the world of healthcare, health insurance. And I worked my summer at a startup that was in the healthcare space. And it was just so boring and everything was so slow and it was so bureaucratic. And I was just like, this is not for me. So I went back my second year and took a job at McKinsey or accepted an offer at McKinsey, I should say. And then I decided to reach back out to Kate, the, the college girlfriend who uh, I'd messed things up with. And I'm like, you know, I'm four years sober now and I'm going to Harvard Business School. And do we think we can try this again? Wow. And she, meanwhile, had, she actually transferred schools at the end and she transferred to Wellesley, an all-girls school. And then she went to cooking school in Italy for a while. And then she actually got the job that I wanted, uh, leaving Colgate, which was a investment banking job at Goldman Sachs. Wow. And so she worked there for a bit, met a guy, moved with him to London. So when I reached out, she said, you know, that's great, but you know, it's kind of too late and I'm not sure I really trust you. So yeah, it was, it was a sweet, I mean, she's very sweet about it, but it was kind of like, it's over. And I was totally heartbroken and also just kind of, it was a tough time for me. I was at, I was at business school and they party a lot at business school and people drink. That's like a big way that people bond and go out. And it was, hard for me because I, mm. I didn't drink and I didn't, it was just, I was socially stunted. I didn't know really how to like go out with people if I couldn't also be drinking and partying. It just felt really awkward. And so I started a dating website. I mean, that I, it was just the, the offerings at the time <laughs> were not kind of something that I wanted to try and no one my age used it. It was kind of something that most people didn't do or if they were, they wouldn't want to admit to it. Yeah. And I just had this insight, you know, a lot had changed since those dating websites had been developed and social media had come along. And the original insight was, well, what if I created something that plugged into Facebook that introduced you to friends of friends? So it wasn't random strangers on the internet. It was people you knew through Facebook. And what if we could just create a really simple sign on process and allow you to just match with people who are your friends of friends. So that was that was Hinge version one. Right. And so how'd that go? Well, you know, 
it was hard. You know, one, we wrote a business plan for the business plan competition at HBS with a friend of mine. And we got told, like, this is a horrible idea. Yeah. And so <laughs> uh, then I was like, well, you know, I, I left school. I decided not to take the offer at McKinsey, um, much to my parents' chagrin, and ended up back in Washington, D.C. eventually and would try to convince venture capitalists and angel investors to give me money. And everyone would be like, well, you know, match owns this market and you know, you'll never be able to compete. But I was able to scrounge up a little bit of money and, and launch a prototype. And then Tinder hit the market and took off. Mm. And because we'd started so early, Tinder was owned by IAC at that point, and no one could really invest in Tinder. And so people just started throwing money at us. And so I went from a world where I had to beg people for you know checks, $10,000, $20,000 at a time to then raising like a $15 million round. So the tide changed pretty quickly. And when was all that happening? When did that, when did that happen? So we launched sort of the mobile version of Hinge in 2013, which was kind of like the real launch. And we threw a big launch party and, and that's when it started to kind of go. But we didn't get really big. We got to about 500,000 users and things kind of started to level out a bit. And I just kind of stepped back and realized at the time that this just really isn't the company that I wanted to build. We'd, we'd really become obsessed with our competition. We were copying their features. We were just another swipe app, except we were friends of friends. Right. And what was becoming clear at the time is one, we were just like perpetuating this kind of superficial hookup culture, which isn't really what I wanted to do in the first place. And two, mm. it just wasn't going to win in the market. It was too similar to the other apps that were obviously like way ahead of us. And what became really clear is that there were people out there, especially now because it had been four years since dating apps had launched, that people who were getting older, and it was also appealing to older people who really wanted to find their person. It just wasn't designed to help you really find your person. It wasn't, right. you know, it just seemed like random people nearby or random people, your friends just wasn't really a, a way to do that. Is that due to the algorithm and how that was designed or what? It was everything. I mean, it's everything from, I think, the, the swipe feature to the algorithm and the interface to the brand and who it attracts, you know, all people for all things. And what was clear is that there was like a really intentioned group of people who really wanted to find their person and were now open to the idea of using a dating service. But these dating services just weren't designed if you're really looking for a relationship. Right. And right, so right. that's when I went to my investors and I said, hey, this isn't, you know, we're starting to lose steam, you know, instead of kind of moving to the next stage and trying to monetize this, let's tear it all down, let's start from scratch. And let's build something that's really designed for people who want to find a relationship. Right. And so that's what we did. And that's when we I had about 30 employees at that point. And I walked in and we had to let go about half of them, because it was just too hard to start over from scratch with so many people. So just like let go of half the team, reduced our burn rate, I start over from scratch, build a new code base, build a new brand, and let's launch as the dating app that, you know, now we say the dating app designed to be deleted, the dating app that's really designed to get you off dating apps. Right. And there were a number of fundamental things we wanted to change. We wanted to get rid of the swipe feature. We really wanted to slow people down and really focus on signal and not a bunch of noise. We, we didn't want to track things like time and app. And things like that, we just wanted, or even matches. Yeah, we just wanted to have one north star metric, which was does it get more people out on great dates or not? Right. And so that really ended up developing a very, very different app when we stopped 
maximizing for engagement and retention and time and app and started just maximizing for what people came to us for in the first place, which was, are people getting out on great dates? So you talk about the things you were trying to work, you're working on before, but like, it sounds a little bit crazy that you're one of the metrics that I'm, that you guys use, and I'm sure lots of others use is time and app, which for a dating app would indicate that this isn't very good unless as people are doing <laughs> totally, it. Totally. Totally. Just it's like the opposite <laughs> of what you want from a dating app. Yeah. But back in the day, that was what you were optimizing for. I imagine that's what you were telling your investors and they were probably like, yeah, cool. People are spending a ton of time in this app because they, I guess, can't find what they're looking for. Yeah, I mean, the VC world, right? I mean, everyone, like a social app and it's like, okay, social app. What's your, you know, DAO over Mao? What's your time in app? What's your, like, these are just like the... It just falls into the mental model of what sounds like success and what sounds like failure of... If it's social, then it has to hit these certain type of metrics or whatever. Precisely. Yeah. Right. And when you had to go in there and basically let go of half the company, that sounds difficult. Was that? <laughs> oh, I got it. was gut wrenching. <laughs> I mean, it was. You know, the, the company wasn't in any dire straits whatsoever. You know, we just raised that big round. We had ten million dollars plus in the bank, and. I, yeah, I had a lot of advisors and, and friends and even some of my investors say, you know, this is crazy. Like, you've got something going. You've got 500,000 users. Let's start monetizing it. Let's start building it. But I really felt in my gut like this just wasn't the right app. It wasn't the right platform. It wasn't. There's just so many things I wanted to do differently. And it felt like the only way to get where I wanted to go with this company was to really reboot it from scratch. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it was totally gut-wrenching. And it was you know, all the logistics around, I, you know, we sent a, an email to half the team to say, hey, don't come in in the morning, come in around noon, because we're doing some, you know, leadership team meetings in the morning. And then I didn't send that message to the people who were getting let go. And so they showed up that morning, and I brought them on the conference room and let them know that Hinge was heading in a new direction. And unfortunately, they wouldn't be part of it, which was just so hard. And oh, so just like, brutal. yeah, it was horrible. And then you send all those people out. And then you I have to like, turn it around and have the happy face and rally the remaining 15 people to get excited about this new opportunity. And it was really scary because I didn't know who was going to stay. I offered everyone the same severance package that I offered the people who I just let go and I had to see who was going to stick around the next day. And did all of those people who kind of the chosen folks, did they all stay or did you lose some of them too? Uh, I lost one. I lost one, but everyone else stayed. Right. Because I imagine, I mean, because you never not, you never quite know. I'm sure you can kind of go over it in your head a million times, but you never not quite know how it's going to feel and how people are going to react when you're kind of in the room. Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, to get people excited about tearing the app down and starting over uh, was certainly non-trivial, to say the least. Right. And when you tore it down and remade it, so what was the difference? You know, like it sounds like you were effectively trying to, again, speaking, think about this in terms of like social media, like almost increasing friction, like slowing people down and making them maybe think a bit more about what it is they want or what they're looking for, or who's attractive or who isn't or whatever. But I mean, what it, from a design perspective, what did that mean? Precisely. And we had to do a lot of things that would look crazy to... I think like people who were investing in social media apps at the time. So one was one, we wanted a deeper profile. We wanted to land you right in people's profiles and we wanted it to be six photos 
answers to prompts, these, these new things called prompts. A couple other apps now have, have copied this, but it mm. was short questions designed to get you into a good conversation and fill out a lot of basic information about yourself. And you had to go through this long sign-up flow where we lost like 20 to 25% of the people. Oh, wow. That's kind of crazy, right? In the old version of the app, you just hit one button and you're in. It's like we lost yeah. nobody. And now we're losing 25% of our registrations. And then you can start swiping, right? D- immediately. Yeah. And so that's one piece of it is like, but our thesis was like, this is, we call it like good churn because, because if you don't care enough to like fill out this basic information, add six photos and add three prompts, like you're probably not exactly what we're looking for in terms of people who really want to find a relationship. Right. We got rid of the swipe feature and, and we introduced something called liking content. So similar to like on Instagram where you, you would see something about them that you liked and you'd have to engage with that particular thing. And then maybe you could write a comment and that would, you know, it sounds kind of small, but it actually makes people way more selective because when you can kind of just toss people to the left and to the right, people are, you know, they'll do about half to the left and half to the right. Whereas when you have to choose something about someone to like, you slow way down, you know, you only like 15% of the people. And again, that looks crazy from an engagement standpoint. You have way fewer likes in the system, but we're learning so much more about your taste because you're looking at people, you're having a lot more information about them, you're being way more selective. And so we can hone in really well on your taste. You know, we deliver all our likes. So when someone likes you, we just tell you. So you don't have to like them in order to find out they like you back because that creates the incentive just to send a lot of likes and then see who likes you and then you can worry about it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't do that. And I can go on forever, but there's all these little nuances that all kind of chain together to end up creating a very different experience. And what we found is that the app was 20 times more efficient at getting people out on dates. So on the old version of Hinge, you would have to send a thousand likes on average in order to get to a date. A thousand? A thousand. No one would send a thousand likes before they would get to a date on average on the old Hinge and it was 50 on the new Hinge. Wow. So it was a very different world. So old school was like a thousand, I guess, swipe rights. And this is a 50 kind of, hey, you're interesting or your kind of taste in music is interesting or whatever. That's right. Right, right. I presume you have some kind of psychologist on staff or at least some people who are helping you because it's what you're talking about. There are a lot of like little micro step type kind of tweaks to the process. It sounds like that get to the core of what people are interested in and a lot of them sound quite logical, but I imagine to actually get to that and to design it and to make it accessible, that's a bit of a, an art and a science. Definitely. For a long time, it was just kind of us in a small room figuring it out. Mm. But last year, we started Hinge Labs, which is now we have a, a team of researchers mm. who really dive into understanding dating culture, people's mindsets when they're approaching dating. And they help us really understand, one, of course, like how we can evolve the product to become better and better at helping people get out on dates. But what we're also finding is at a certain point, you kind of hit a limit in terms of how you can you know, move this button over here or change this UI feature in order to make people good at dating. There's also, you know, dating culture is changing so quickly, you know, introducing video and dealing with the pandemic that we found that you know, we have millions and millions of daters on our platform. And so we can do research that helps understand how people can approach their dating lives, what they can do differently that is kind of beyond just product features so that we can give them coaching along the way. Right. And is it subscription? How do you make money? 
Yes. So we make money primarily through subscriptions. So it's free to use. You can send a certain number of likes per day. You can see who likes you for free. But if you want to set advanced preferences or if you want to send unlimited likes, that sort of thing, then you pay for a premium subscription. So it's freemium model. Yep. Got you. And now, and how many people are on it now? Uh, we don't share the monthly active user numbers, but many millions. Right. Up from whatever it was, 500,000 when you decided to tear everything down. Yeah. We, we sort of topped out around 500,000 on the old, on the old version of Finch. I think it was the right call in the end. Yeah. It sounds like it. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You guys, uh, as vaccines started rolling out, you guys put a, like a vaccine badge status in, in there that people could put on their, on their profile, correct? We did, yeah. I partnered with the White House on that to encourage people to share their vaccine status and, and also to get vaccinated. Do you have any insights as to like how many people are doing that and like what reactions that engenders? Because obviously it's <laughs> these are fraught times around vaccines. You know, I don't know if it's kind of if it's moved the needle one way or not or another for people or if you have that kind of level of insight on it. I don't know the stat of how many people did it off the top of my head, but I do know that we released some stats around people who had added their vaccine status and said they were vaccinated were much more likely, pretty significantly, I forgot what it was, I think it was like 30% or more, more likely to get likes than people who didn't. Right. And how many dating apps are there now? <laughs> like in the world? I mean, it's crazy. Like there's maybe hundreds, if not thousands. The good thing is you're kind of, it's kind of a growing market, right? So you can kind of there's opportunity for yourselves and others to to grow into that. But what does that landscape look like? And like, how do you stand out in a world where there's like, literally dozens in the US, you know, you know, there are many, 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 many dating apps, but obviously, very few become major players in the market. And I don't know. I mean, perseverance, we just kept going and kept showing up and kept changing. <laughs> and it's been such a long, hard journey over these last 10 years, and more than 10 years at this point. But as you really do start to gain scale, I think that we really start to, I mean, there's significant benefits of scale. Like when you join Hinge, you know that there are millions of other people on it. We are able to refine our algorithms. We're able to really have a whole team dedicated to trust and safety and privacy. So there's just a lot of benefits to scale that I think at first 
it's obviously like a huge headwind to be trying to get to that level of scale, which is very, very hard. But once you achieve it, then it feels it, it becomes a tailwind. And as a result, it's kind of a soft network effects or weak network effects business, which is that I think it's not like there's only going to be one, but there's only a few that are really going to succeed. There's a, the market can't really support more than, you know, three or four. Yeah. And well, it's funny, you're kind of part of, um, well, I guess we can call it big dating. It's not big tech, but IAC owns you guys, Match, Tinder, okay, Cupid. You guys are all in the, the same stable. Yeah, Match Group now. IAC spun them out, but yeah, it's, it, they're all owned by Match Group now. Yeah. And I mean, are you guys in competition or is it, you know, if you're on Tinder, you're not going to be on Hinge or if you're on Tinder, you're also on Hinge and you're also on, you're on all of them. Like, do you have a sense of what people are doing? People use different apps for different reasons. A lot of people will use two or three apps at a time. So it's kind of like sibling rivalry a little bit, right? Like we're mm. sort of in competition, sort of not. We all have our very own independent cultures. Almost every brand they have is based in a different city with a different, completely different team. But we also kind of have our own swim lane. You know, like Hinge for sure is millennials and Gen Zs who are interested in more serious relationships and really want to find their person. Right. Whatever happened to Facebook dating? There was a big hullabaloo when Mark Zuckerberg, you know, rolled that out and it was like, ooh, here comes Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a lot of, at least in the tech press, a lot of snide comments about what a failure this is going to be. But I mean, I will say I'm married, I'm old, so I'm not in that world anyway. But it doesn't, I haven't heard much about Facebook dating since, since it was launched. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you know i just people our, our market especially like millennials and gen z's they don't really use facebook period a lot of them don't trust facebook very much so to use it as a dating service isn't really something that they like put in their considerations at yeah i guess the other interesting thing for me is again i'm in my mid 40s now growing up i kind of basically missed the boat on online dating pretty much entirely or it was just starting out and it was it was weird or it was kind of for people who couldn't find a date otherwise it feels like that is completely flipped now totally it's totally flipped it is now the number one way people meet the majority of relationships start online yeah um, and i think the younger you get the weirder it is to not meet online like what do you mean you just met some stranger in the street like <laughs> without any data points to yeah, like yeah, no you know, data, your decision no information you didn't like... right. yeah no it's definitely it's it's changed a lot no one believed at the time that young people would use dating services but obviously that culture has changed dramatically over the last five to six years and are you going to stay in your lane then because obviously to your point around young people especially and we've talked about this theme a lot on the on the podcast here and there is the this idea that you know the younger generations people who have grown up knowing nothing other than a world with the internet at the kind of the center of it you know this is how they're going to meet people this is how they live their life etc cetera, etc cetera. there's a obviously a big market there but are you going to stick to this kind of you know 20s early 30s world where it is people trying to find their their people or are you thinking about venturing into the swipe left swipe right here's the hinge hookup app you know this our sister <laughs> no, hinge hookup app i don't think so i think we just really believe in doing one thing and doing it really really well it's such a big and interesting problem to help people find their person mm. and i still think we're really in the early innings of how we can make 
the process as smooth and effective and enjoyable as possible. There's a lot of possibilities now being opened up with audio and video. There's still so much to learn about how we can make our algorithms better, about how we can make conversations better. So I just think like the problem is so juicy and needy, and there's still a lot of opportunity for us, I think, to continue to lead the way in innovation in the space. And that's what I'm focused on for sure. So can we go fast forward like 20 years and paint a picture of what this world might look like? Like the classic where you look back at how it quote unquote used to be and it's like, oh my God, we were so primitive back then. We just like, you just go to a bar and meet somebody randomly and hope for the best. When you talk about like when we're just scratching the surface of what is possible around kind of this whole process, what's the kind of the far out picture that you can see or the outlines of now of what that might look like? Yeah, I think there's a number of avenues that I think will probably change. One is that, you know, profiles today on dating apps are very flat. You know, it's a Mm. a few words in a bio or answers to a question and some still photos. You don't really have a great sense of someone. You get so much more as people get accustomed to video and audio, whether asynchronously on the profile or synchronously through a conversation that you're having once you, you know, once you match with someone. Mm. So I think that sort of first date, if you will, will happen more online. I think people will get a sense of someone through a video chat first. And so by the time you meet up with someone, you know that you've got a vibe, you're excited to go meet up with them. You're not walking in and realizing like three minutes in that, well, this is like a huge mistake and I wasted my night. So I think rich media will become a very central part of it. I also think that we can really help guide people toward finding their points of chemistry and developing a more intimate bond that helps them understand more quickly whether they're really vibing or not, rather than just leaving people to their own devices in terms of just like, okay, like here, you're in an empty chat room, go on a date. But, you know, as we learn what kinds of topics really help people bond as you can guide them on a journey of being a little bit more vulnerable and open you'll just create that bond and that sense of knowing that this is the right person much, much sooner. So I think that that guided experience is really interesting. What would that look like practically? Like, what do you mean? Well, have you, have you ever heard of the 36 questions that fall in love? No. Okay. So there's, um, well, was actually a New York times wrote a big article on it, but it's a, the, this researcher who put people in a study where they would go through these 36 questions that got progressively more intimate. So it'd start like with like, Mm. if you could have dinner with anyone in the world, who would it be? And then, you know, a little later, it's like, if you could change one thing about your childhood, what would it be? And they'd be like, do you think about death? And anyway, it just like got more and more progressively intimate. And what's so funny is like, even in the study where they just paired random people together, I think like four or five married couples came out of it. Mm. It's because it can guide you so much better than I think people necessarily know how to guide a connection to create that intimate bond and, and really start to get to know each other versus just like banter or whatever it is that you might do in a bar. So helping people sort of forge that initial bond, I think is something that we could help with that journey, especially when the first date might be online or through the app. When you talk about the first date going via video, it made me think we just did a piece recently on TikTok and how they've launched this um, pilot for video resumes. And it's obviously mostly young people and it's 60 seconds and they're just, it's like a little mini production. This is me. This is what I'm good at. Hire me. 
and it's a it's a kind of a, a little experiment, but you can kind of see, especially through you know, accelerated through the pandemic, people are way, way, way more accustomed to just talking into their camera or talking to another person through their phone via video. It does feel like that's it's like a logical next step, even if it sounds weird on the face of it. Yeah, I think it feels less weird the younger you are. And I think it feels less weird to all of us post-pandemic. I mean, just we're all so used to being on FaceTime and, and Zoom. And so I definitely think that that I'm the most sure about. That that is definitely the way that this industry is going. And the other thing when you're talking about like guiding people through, you know, some pretty heavy stuff to try to get to help them kind of get to the core of what they're what drives them or what drives this other person or whatever it may be. That obviously revolves, I mean, that trust in the company, trust in the brand is huge to be able to convince people to allow your company to do that, to be that kind of intermediary, which is almost like a, you know, a therapist holding your hand while you meet somebody. Is that something you guys think about a lot? Because obviously there's a lot of issues. There have been a lot of issues, especially in the online dating world around like leaked data or, you know, thousands and thousands of fake profiles and people phishing and trying to, you know, reel people into scams. I mean, I imagine that's for a brand doing what you are doing and especially the directions things are going, that's that's potentially fatal. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean well, I'm not saying we would store everyone's answers to these things. I, yeah. I think that, like, there's a way to guide a, a unique interaction that we wouldn't, like, store the, the data around but I ultimately think it's in my heart of hearts, like I think it's what works. I think people actually prefer when they experience it, that kind of level of intimacy building. But it's it's a slower and more evolutionary change because you're right, it's not normal right now to do that, right? Yeah. But, but you inch toward it over time. And I do think that over time we can nudge people towards what really what really works. I mean, you you've looked at the dating apps in general were something that people didn't use, especially my age even six to seven years ago. And now it's like crazy if you're not on one. So these things definitely change over time. And I think they lean towards what works. And the fact of the matter is that that dating apps really work. Clearly they work. We talk a lot to a lot of people in different industries and they'll kind of be like, you know, in the future, we'll look back on like, we did a, like a bunch of podcasts with people working on different various kind of lab grown meat and milk and eggs and all kinds of stuff. And they're like, you know, We'll look back 20, 30 years from now at how half the planet was devoted to feeding and raising cows so we could slaughter them and eat their meat, basically turning the whole world into a food lot. Like, that's crazy. I can't believe we did that. Do you think that online dating is basically the same way, like this idea of like, my wife and I met on a plane on the way to Africa? Like, that can still happen, but that's going to be such a rarity. It's usually going to be, as you say, it's already in that, heading that direction where your kind of first port of call for everybody is online. That is how people will meet the vast majority of the time. And the kind of old school analog random meeting is kind of on its way out largely. Yeah, I think we'll look back and it will feel a little bit like in the past, we were just fumbling around, hoping that we'd bump into the right person and that we would figure out a way to strike up good conversation and good chemistry. And I think people now can, obviously, we can help direct them towards a pool of people that are going to be very suitable, excellent people for them to consider 
and help them foster those connections. You know, a lot, a lot of times dating apps and can get sort of a, a bad rap. You know, they're hard and they're, it can be exhausting and burnout. Like dating is hard and it and can be exhausting and can lead to burnout. But I mean, go back. I mean, it was so hard before. And the biggest complaint was like, people just didn't feel like I couldn't meet someone. I didn't know where to meet someone. There's not enough people, especially after you've like left school and you have a job. It's really tough for people. A lot of people were afraid to leave bad relationships because they just feared that they'd never be able to find someone else. That's just not a fear people have anymore. You know, people, if they're in a bad relationship, they know that there's a reliable way for them to find a new partner. And so, you know, Hinge has set up hundreds of thousands, if not at this point, millions of relationships. And Right. I have two more questions and I'll let you go. What was your worst day of work? Well, I mean probably the day that I had to let go of half the company. I mean, that that's just, yes, letting go of people is also is really hard. But that decision in retrospect was like clearly the right call, I think. And, yeah. and I can tell the story of like, you know, that was like definitely the right thing to do. But when you're in the moment and you're going through something like that, you never, you have no idea. There's so much self-doubt. And like, am I totally screwing this up? Am I insane? Like just firing all these people? Like we, everything's going fine. Like we have lots of money in the bank. We're still growing. And so that was just, there was a lot of self-doubt and that was a really, really, really very tough time. Yeah. And how long before that self-doubt kind of receded and you're like, oh, actually, okay, this was the right decision. Last week, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, It was probably, I mean, it was years later because it was a really tough year following that. We, it wasn't like, oh yeah, like, we threw out the old version of the app and we came up instantly with this new version. There was a long time where we were like six months, we were fumbling around being like, I don't, maybe there's no other way. Maybe like the swipe feature is right. the only way to make this thing work. And so there was a lot of doubt then. And then we launched and it didn't take initially. It really took some reconfiguration of some original assumptions we had in the interface and moving things around and really to get it to start hooking. So it was a couple of years afterwards before I was like, okay, maybe this can actually work. That sounds like a long couple of years. It was a very long, it's been a long decade. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this is a leading question because I, I, I know the answer, but whatever happened to um to Kate? Uh, yeah. So Kate, well, we <laughs> we ended up back together um, because of Hinge in, in a weird way. But I, a reporter came and wanted to do a story about Hinge because she had met her person on Hinge and wanted to know how we'd done it. And I did an interview with her. And at the end of the interview, she asked if I'd ever been in love. And I said, well, a long time ago, I've been eight years at that point since I'd seen Kate. Yeah. And, you know, but I said, I just didn't recognize it until it was too late. And then she stopped her tape recorder and she told me the story of her and her first love and how they found each other 20 years later and realized they should have been together the whole time. And she inspired me to fly over to Switzerland where Kate was living and you know, make a bid for love. And uh, so you just showed up on her doorstep, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a little longer story than that. But I but yes, <laughs> I showed up in Switzerland, surprised her. Um, she was a month away from getting married to someone else. Uh, the same person, in fact, that when I'd reached out to her four years earlier. Mm. And yeah, and she came back to America with me and moved into my 340 square foot apartment in the West Village. And that was when I she moved in to, straight away. Yeah, well, she's like, if I'm coming back, we're doing this. Oh, my God. And <laughs> we're not, like, dating. Um, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. This yeah. is it. So I went from a bachelor running a dating app to a domestic partner overnight. Wow. And I started discovering what a real relationship was like. Because I had <laughs> spent my whole life running away from, like, intimacy and relationships. And then 
but Kate and I are married now. We have um, a little boy named Oliver. Oh, cool. And another one on the way. How old? He's two. He's Well, he's, he's going to turn two this month. Oh, okay. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So yeah, it sounds like you're... I'm just a couple years behind you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a lot of sleepless nights ahead, but it's all, you know, it's all gravy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. Cool. So when are you guys going to start launching video first date? Well, we actually have video. So we have video chat in the app now. Once you match with someone, you can add videos to your profiles. But I think the real trick is going to be figuring out how you make people comfortable with it and creating archetypes around, you know, what kind of video I should put on my dating app and how I do a dating first date. So it's less a technology problem. It's much more a psychology and culture problem. And just finally, just kind of sprung to mind, uh, do you have a sense of whether, you know, like TikTok or Snapchat or any of these, you know, mega apps are trying to do get into this world one way or the other as well? Uh, I don't think so. And I, I doubt that they will. But I think what's interesting about the next generation and Gen Z is that they are so plugged into these apps that dating through those platforms, like sliding into someone's DMs on Instagram, right, is like a very acceptable and normal way it's a dating app basically <laughs> everything's a dating app in, in a way and i think it's you know we used to hang out in bars and clubs and you know house parties and now people hang out on instagram and snapchat and so that's where they that's where they date and and i think that will continue to be the case but i still think for a lot of people there's there's a real desire to have a more like focused experience so they're going to feel more comfortable and knowing people are on the same page and everything that a dating app provides yeah yeah Last one. You sold to IC in 2018, I believe. Why'd you stick around? Usually people, uh, you know, take the money and run, as it were. Well, I I made that move because I really thought it was the best thing for Hinge, the company. You know, we had to raise our next financing round. And so it was a matter of whether we were going to go with a strategic investor, basically, or or go through the venture capital route. And they just have such wisdom in the market and significant financial resources that, that it was just pretty clear that they were the right partner for Hinge. But I, the deal was definitely that I wanted to stick around and grow the company. We still had a lot to do. And Hinge has obviously grown hugely over that period of time. When they invested in us, I think we were only 30, 35 people and you know, still kind of like figuring things out. And, and heck, when the pandemic started, we were about 55 employees. Yeah. We're almost 150 now. We've, oh we've tripled the size of our company during the pandemic. And obviously, like the revenue. So, I mean, this has been, this is the most exciting part of Hinge ever right now. So, we didn't want to miss this. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Justin for taking the time and telling us uh, the story of Hinge and also the story of how he and his wife kind of finally made it all work and get it together. And I want to thank you guys all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for just generally being around and downloading and listening. And, you know, it's great. That is it for me this week. I am not writing in the paper. I'm actually on vacation my last of the summer, potentially the last of the year. But I will be back next week writing in the paper. But in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson, or you can email me danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it. Have a fantastic weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
want more out of this podcast, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley to read articles based on these interviews, broader discussions of the topics covered here, and of course, the amazing work of all my colleagues across the rest of the paper, all for less than one pound a day. Start your free trial now by going to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.